Welcome to 42 Answers from Founders for Founders, a podcast series brought to you by Project A Ventures, the operational VC. My name is Rainer Berak, Operating Partner at Project A, and our guest today is Fabian Niedballer. Welcome, Fabian. Hi, welcome, Rainer. Really happy to be here. In this podcast, we talk to great founders and those who have been great founders in the past or work closely with those. And we ask them the same set of questions in the domains that we think matter tremendously for building a successful company. And these are tech, growth, people, data, and ESG. Fabian, who are you? What do you do? And why do you do it? Okay, so yeah, I'm Fabian, um, co-founder of Sharpest. That's become a really large part of my identity. Uh, we'll talk more about Sharpest in a few moments uh, and why we do what we do. Uh, on a personal note, um, you know, I'm originally from the Ruhr area in Germany, from Bochum. Um, grew up, grew up there. Uh, played professional football. Um, then went, you know, to do my studies abroad. Uh, was very inspired uh, by um, a lot of the people that I was able to. Grow up alongside uh, um, in in Italy, where I, where I studied. Uh, then then went to China for a bit, and um, ultimately now have been in Berlin for uh, almost ten years. And uh, yeah, I like to do sports still, uh, less so football actively. Um, I'm a I'm a I'm a Bochum supporter in terms of our football team. And uh, right now, I, I, in terms of sports, I, I rather do what uh, what what um, what makes me feel good, which at the moment is uh, yeah the daily. The daily swim uh, as much as I can get it done. Yeah. Thanks for that. Um, tell us a little bit more about Sharpist. Um, yeah. Who's your target? What what are you, what does Sharpist do, and and who's your target group? Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, Sharpist is a uh, is a results oriented digital coaching provider, and our mission is to to drive the growth of organizations and their people through one on one digital coaching and personalized learning programs. And so here we really work with uh, all types of organizations, companies, uh, small and large, uh, by now from more than 30 countries. Um, some of the companies we work with uh, include really large, uh, large ones like, you know, Porsche, Ikea, Strabag, uh, one of Europe's largest construction companies. And um, yeah, really what we're doing here is um, making uh, coaching more accessible to people at all levels. And specifically, um, we've seen that the programs we launch are most successful if uh, the leaders in the company really support this and, and, and take a leading role here. And so then, then you have a nice trickling down effect where essentially the entire company uh, benefits in, in, in both sort of soft and also very, very tangible um, um, measures. Yeah. So, so you target beat uh, business to business. Um, if I'm an that's individual right. and I think that's that's a great solution for my company, can I just like book that individually somehow, or do I need to go through my company? Yeah, great question. Uh, both is possible. So um, we have a dedicated program uh, for uh, we say SMBs, so small medium businesses, and uh, also individuals can book uh, can book uh, um, a license there. Um, so it's called Sharpest Spark. And you would be able to, as an individual, uh, sign up right there and uh, get get going pretty pretty smoothly. And last question before we get started with our questionnaire: um, the coaching itself is not done by robots or so. It's not that digital. It's in the end, I do have a, a person as a coach. Is that is that right? 
Absolutely, absolutely, yes. Uh, we we really marry, I would say, technology and and and, and the human side of things. Um, and you know, I, I think I think the key question in in many areas of life is: uh, Do you want to interact with a machine, uh, or do you want to interact with a human? And when it comes to personal development, um, it's it's inherently human, and so uh, it's it's a critical part of our product experience is the one-on-one -on -one relationship that you will develop with your coach. Thank you for that. And now let's get started. People. If you would start a company today, what would be your first five hires? Mm -hmm. um, I. I think um, if 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 I think about Sharpest or a B two B SaaS company um, at at large, I, I'd always say it's it's really critical to start um, you know getting in front of customers as early as possible. So uh, here we we look at a BDR and an AE, so a business development representative and an account executive, so someone who creates opportunities and someone who can then pick up those opportunities and convert them into customers. Uh, both really need to learn together. Then someone who's uh, sort of an ops uh, ops generalist, um, someone who could um, you know set up the first version of your support system. Someone who can also uh, launch some first partnerships um, and 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 keep them keep them going. Then you really want um, I think some sort of business or finance generalist. So someone who can. To the to the finance part of your of your business and, and 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 maybe focus on one other area like demand generation and then obviously someone to develop the, the technical product at the beginning i think engineering and product are sort of um fall into fall into one area of responsibility so someone someone in charge of that were these the first five hires that you had in Uh, not not entirely. So um, we were three co-founders at Sharpest, um, and we had pro uh, product, tech, and sales pretty much covered through the founder team. Um, and then our our first hires were uh, our and he, um, still with us, uh, Philip, our principal engineer. Um, and alongside, we um, started with a pilot manager, so someone who actually managed our first customers really hands-on. Um, a content writer uh, was was among our first five hires, and then uh, we also had uh, yeah another software developer and a UX designer. Uh, those were those were the first five hires. So pretty heavy on the product and uh, product engineering work, I'd say. Yeah, just wanted to say. So you started more tech focused, which a lot of companies mm -hmm. do. Uh, and now you would probably uh, like move a little bit stronger towards the commercial and and, and growth side. In a way, in a way, I'd, I'd be curious how my, 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 you know, how my assessment would be uh, if I had done it the <laughs> other way around. <laughs> But uh, yeah, yeah, I think a slight, a slight shift to, 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 to rather sales, uh, sales heavy kind of uh, setup doesn't hurt uh, because you learn, you learn so much, and um, the more you learn, the, the, the faster you can also iterate on, on, on your product. What's the hardest hires of today? Mm -hmm. I think I think here it's really tricky not to give uh, to, to to give an original answer. I would say um, I would definitely say um, in terms of uh, leadership roles, um, you're looking at VP Sales, VP Engineering, and I think in in sales the key challenge is typically that you're dealing with people that are often great at their craft and and also have become great at selling themselves, and so. 
looking beyond, I think, I think looking beyond that is, is a key challenge. And, and oftentimes you really can only see that when the person has started. Um, and, and, you know, also just because someone was great at doing sales in a similar, maybe even comparable environment, it, it really doesn't mean that she or he might perform in your specific environment at the specific stage in which you are. And so, um, um, ultimately that, that, that makes it challenging. And, um, in, in engineering, I guess it's, 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 it's quite similar because, um, just because someone was a great engineering leader at a very established company or, or a company who has made it before, uh, it doesn't mean that he or she will, will do the same, uh, at your company. So I think the, the critical thing that you are looking for is, can you find someone who is, uh, you know, also bringing the right appetite at the right hunger to kind of do it again if they have done so before already um and that that really yeah need to go quite deep in in the interview process which is why we have uh, several several stages uh, at sharpest okay how do you measure employee satisfaction at sharpest yeah um great question because it's very sort of integral to 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 our business uh, in a way so Pretty classical, I would say. We look at um, employee net promoter score, um, monthly monthly surveys with with deep dives on a team level, um, and then personally, as a founder, I, I always try to complement that with um, lunches or um, you know uh, dinners with 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 employees, just to also check in on a more personal level how are things going and uh, where 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 are things that we that we can improve as a team. How can I How can I maybe um, be helpful as a, as a founder in ways that the employee uh, satisfaction surveys wouldn't really tell you? And I think that's something personally I would, uh, I, I'm, I'm trying to keep up uh, with uh, as the company grows. Uh, besides, besides the information, it's also, it's also just uh, a lot of fun. How about performance? At the beginning, in the early days, you're very close to your people, but then the organization grows. How, how can you make sure that you make sure the organization performs? At Sharpest, we really look at um, both behavior and, and performance against sort of role-specific targets over time. Um, we, do, we do this uh, at least quarterly. So in a, in a, in a, in a formalized way, we do, we, we do quarterly performance. Uh, assessments um, and, and conversations. Um, and then more informally, we obviously uh, want leaders to check in with their team members uh, more, more regularly. Uh, feedback is, is, is a critical component of our DNA at Sharpest. And um, yeah, and, and then when I look at the more formalized bit um, it, for, for individual contributors, um, we take into account yeah, really behaviors mapped, mapped against our very own cultural principles. Um, example would be, you know, we, keep, we really keep growing ourselves our, uh, by, by telling our own boundaries. Um, and for example, we are nonviolently direct and then we would, we would have conversations uh, with each other to, to really assess, you know, how, how are you doing against that? Um, and, and then for leadership roles, um, in addition, uh, there, there are some leadership principles that, that we look at, you know, depending on the role, we're looking at things like thought leadership, uh, process leadership, people leadership, organizational leadership, commercial leadership. So, um, yeah, the, the interesting bit about leadership, right, is that there's so many dimensions and I, we, we really find it 
helpful to uh, to to break it down into what matters for the for the respective role and then uh, look at that and then um, some roles have a have a have a target a, a very easily measurable commercial target as well right like in sales um, and so all these together uh, are the I would say inputs for uh, the the conversations we're having um, uh, regularly. What is your favorite type of org chart? How would you prefer to structure an organization? Yeah, I think I think it's a great question because it it it, it prompts you to think about uh, I guess uh, one answer and and I yeah. I think I've seen I've seen many different org charts uh, succeed and fail, um, and not just see but but experience them as well. And I mean, ultimately, the meta the meta answer here is that it should be structured in a way that uh, really empowers people to do their best work, right? And so um, I think I think it should be understood that obviously a structure just follows the strategy, and and so. Um, especially in, in high growth environments, uh, a, a kind of static org chart really only describes, I think, part of the day-to-day -day reality yeah, at best. And, and um, so, so we have an operational org chart, that, but, but, but also we have, and that's critical, cross-functional mission teams. Um, and, 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 and those together really form the day-to-day the, the -day reality. So, um, On the on the product and engineering side, that means um, you know having cross-functional mission teams consisting of um, engineering, product, design, um, working together towards um, ambitious but attainable missions that you can break down to the quarter, um, and they might be organized in their own functions to have a functional leader who can teach them or or kind of teach them to do their job at best uh, or help them get to the next level also functionally. Uh, but really on a on a then day-to-day -day level they're organized in a cross-functional way and similarly so uh, we're seeing something um, in the in the revenue uh, organization as well where you have uh, a pod structure with um, a VP who carries a, the revenue number but then um, the people that are part of the pod uh, are made up by different functions again sales PD customer success and marketing and um, yeah so Uh, the, the full reality or the full picture, I think, especially in a high growth environment, you, you really won't get with, with uh, the, the kind of static, say, org chart. I think, I think you always need to also look at uh, what, are, what are the ways in which you can uh, really in a smart way get people together uh, against uh, very tangible um, missions that, that, that they're working towards. And so um, I, I'm a big fan of kind of having both. What's your approach to culture? What, what, what's culture, right? Culture is kind of the, the, the sum of, of the learned behavior of a group of people uh, that are, uh, yeah, that, that, that are working together. Um, and so, yeah, for, for us at Sharpest, that really means that we, uh, in our case, web coaching into, into our customers Uh, leadership development and ensure um, a, a very agile approach to, to transformation, a transformation of culture. And so I think that's critical because, you know, we have, we're living in this, in this world with a lot of, which we call it the VUCA world, right? With a lot of volatility, uncertainty, and so on. And um, I think that the, the, the times of 
um, the, the consultant, not naming any one company now, but coming in with a, with a project uh, which describes transformation with a start point and an end date, uh, those days are really over, right? Companies have realized uh, that um, oftentimes that's quite a waste of money. Um, and so rather, I think we, we take, we take uh, uh, the approach that culture is a very, very continuous process that needs to be recalibrated regularly. And so um, that, that's, that's, that's essentially the way in which we work with our customers. We, we continuously recalibrate uh, the, the organization against where they want to go. And, uh, and we look, how are they trending towards that? Um, summing up the hundreds of, and thousands of individuals that we're working with and then painting a very complete picture uh, or a much more complete picture than you were able, able to ever paint before. Um, and in a way, we have some inputs like behaviors, expectations and principles. And then the output uh, of all of that should be should be essentially meaningful work and and ultimately also performance, which we're getting better and better at uh, at measuring, right? How does culture and better culture uh, really relate to uh, also better financial performance? Because uh, let's face it, if, only if you're really able to prove that uh, you, you're, you're onto something, something really, really big. Are you a remote first or office first company? Um, we started out office first. We were founded in 2018, uh, pre, pre everything in a way it feels pre pandemic, pre recession. Um, and then we were in a way forced to take a, uh, to, to take a remote, uh, structure hiring from everywhere. And now we're back to something a little bit in between. We believe that meaningful work also requires in-person, um, meetings and in-person uh, connections um, and so we have a what we call planet structure where we have um, our headquarter in berlin uh, we have an, a planet in munich and a planet in london when the planet really is a as an office where people come together in areas where we have a sufficient amount of, of sharpies uh, the way we call our employees um, located and so yeah ideally everyone should be um, in a planet um, any given month for for at least a week um, and that way yeah we really try to combine the best of both worlds um, yeah I, I personally believe, believe that the pandemic really brought about uh, a new um, kind of center of gravity when it comes to just the discussions we're having about how we want to set up uh, work and offices uh, and I think that's healthy Kind of like culture, I think you just need to constantly recalibrate. You know what? What's your setup against the needs of of, of the organization, and ultimately that's defined by again your, the needs of your customers. Tech. What you call sharpest a tech company? I would say, I mean, yeah. Uh, look, matching matching coaches with with learners on a video call requires absolutely no tech. Um, and that's why there's so, so many companies that uh, can do that and set up a front shop with uh, kind of just doing that, right? We have X amount of coaches and we match these. Uh, we give you a way to book appointments and, and there you go. Um, we, we obviously do that too, uh, but, but you will not really, um, I would say, do something substantially new and valuable in the field of HR at large. So. What's, what's critical in HR and uh, where it, it's, it's, it's really, um, 
we're, we're seeing the same that that marketing has gone through uh, sort of 20, 20 years ago. Um, so I guess to, today marketing is is, is purely number driven, uh, right? On digital channel channels that are uh, highly measurable and um, down to the down to the last cent. Um, and training and coaching tools were were tracked by by happy sheets that that nobody really uses. And 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 in the future, they, uh, also here, uh, you need to clearly make the ROI of 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 your products uh, visible and. We have built we have built an analytics infrastructure uh, to drive engagement, match coaches with their learner, and really an entirely digital ecosystem uh, for for learning and development. And um, our our market is is, is not really a, a technology market. Uh, we are we are but but I would say we're the only technology company really dominating that space. And so um, yeah, I would say we use technology to come to completely redefine. The way in which companies can support their employees in their personal and professional development. So I would say that's a long answer, but uh, I would say. <laughs> uh, yeah. If I look at that and if I look at what you have built there, I would describe that clearly as a tech company. Um, even though, like some of the core of the product, you could probably do without technology, but you enrich it by that. And probably most com tech companies are exactly that. They're not like mm -hmm. solving a tech problem, they're solving a problem with tech. That's that's probably fair, um, yeah. or tech tech supported. Um, I assume you have product people and developers um, at Sharpest. If that's the case, is one of them in the lead for the overall development process? I would say it's it's definitely one cannot go without the other. Um, <laughs> I'd love to give a give a more kind of black and white answer here, but um, I would say. Uh, When it comes to strategy, product strategy, product is in the lead. When it comes to implementation and feasibility, engineering is in the, in the lead. So uh, one of the things that's worked um, phenomenally well for us at Sharpest is um, uh, a concept called the product betting table. Um, it's, it's a format where um, every, uh, every month, uh, the timing really uh, varied also according to the stage uh, of our company, but say every month, uh, Pretty much every function of the business is, is represented by by at least one person, and uh, we map out uh, a, a huge amount of, of problems we see um, and make hypotheses about these. And um, ultimately, it comes down to a ranking uh, of all problems uh, in in terms of impact and feasibility. And so, uh, yeah, while, while impact is ultimately owned by product. The feasibility is ultimately owned by, by engineering. Yeah. Okay. So uh, the next question would be, um, who decides what to develop next and how does the decision process work? I guess you answered that. Mm -hmm. But who has the final call? Like um, in case, I don't know, this, this structure that you just described comes out at a, uh, at a draw. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's really designed in a way that there isn't any draw. Uh, and... and, and um, We um, so on a on a day to day level, I guess you know we also have a scrum master to help us with uh, with the execution and uh, so that the teams wouldn't get lost in the small prioritizations that you have to do uh, in order to keep moving. Uh, so I think um, on a on a principle level, I would say it's most important to actually keep moving uh, as opposed to uh, getting caught up in yeah analysis paralysis, right? Uh, so 
that's why that's why actually personally I was quite skeptical to to have a scrum master type of role uh, in in the company at, at that stage. Uh, but I found it to be extremely extremely valuable, and the team uh, the teams uh, really really appreciate that as well. Okay. What, I'm really curious about that one. Mm -hmm. For many companies, it's um, a little bit of BS, but I think here it's a super, super interesting question. What's your take on product-led growth? Enterprise deals uh, are not are not being uh, sold in a in a product-led way. Yeah, for for, for many companies, there, there there is no such thing, uh, right, in in the enterprise space as as product-led growth. And um, let's look at the why not, right? So. I mean, many startups think that they can enter an enterprise organization bottom up, right? Through through employees installing their features and playing around with them. Um, but enterprise companies have uh, data protection regulations that that really block them from enabling such processes. And oh. um, interestingly, so um, not sure if you've seen it, but there there was a recent inter interview with uh, Stuart Stuart Butterfield, I believe, uh, from from Slack. Um, he was invited by, by OMR and um, 30 to 40 percent of the revenues at Slack are, are driven through, through outbound sales activities. And so um, enterprise is a whole nother turf when it comes to PLG, product -like growth. And I would, I would even go as far as to say that nobody has, has cracked and, and potentially in the near term future will crack this. And so how and can that is how, Yeah. And that and that is slack, right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, for for everybody else, it's probably a, a little bit harder even. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so yeah, the question is, you know, how, how can companies selling an enterprise product primarily mm -hmm. still unlock the potential of yeah. product-led growth? And um, I think, you know, you're, you're, you're probably required to go down the long tail and offer a product that is easier to install and, and of course, comes uh, at a lower price point. And so... Um, Yeah, that's that's what that's what we have done at Sharpest as well. So um, yeah, we've actually uh, completely separated our our SMB offering from from our enterprise approach, and we've positioned our product called Sharpest Spark with with the vast long tail of SMBs and startups. And when what we're seeing is here, you can really interestingly drive um, through inbound and outbound marketing people to sign up and try out your product, and so. Um, I think that's that's a great way in which you can, uh, you know, by carving out a piece of the business that 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 really benefits from PLG, uh, still reap the benefits. Um, okay, thank you. Um, which role does design play in your company? The thing about design is, I think what what, what many people misunderstand about design is, uh, you know, it, it's only about beautiful user interfaces and. Um, Uh, and, and really, I think it, it comes down to understanding understanding users and and building workflows and products and services that that cater to their needs. Um, and and so when we found a sharpest, we we only talked to users. Really, we we locked ourselves up and and really asked, you know, what what would it take to offer the most personalized service to all? And um, yeah, the most important design resource, I guess, are almost our our support staff, right? Um, they 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 really feed this um, every single day into our product function. They they actually sit in the product function, and um, yeah, the, the designers ultimately take that input, right? But they are, uh, they are I think if you, if you look at our uh, our 
our app, uh, you know, we're, we're not the most fancy app, like say Notion, uh, but but it, it maybe it even looks a bit more clunky. Uh, but that the design, uh, but but that's because we, we're catering to 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 large companies that that ultimately uh, care about stability, care about data protection, privacy, um, and um, and and that's why it looks the way it it, it does, uh, and 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 that's that's you know because of all the information that we gather uh, through different functions, and then design is, is is I would say really the foundation of the work uh, we do here at Charvis. Outsourcing software development is that something that, given you're a tech company, you would ever do? Are you doing it, or would you say that's that's just not what you should do if 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 that is if if you're a tech company basically? Hmm. I mean, we've we've done so in the past, so um, you know. I think I think it really depends on what you're trying to solve for, and and how good your processes are set up to support a team that's distributed. Um, so, I think a great example uh, was when our development teams were were set up as an agile mission team, you know, consisting of various functions. I've mentioned that before with a with a scrum master. And at that stage, uh, when we also had both both product management and, and the Scrum Master functions across all teams, we were very a well able to, to actually include uh, front-end and back-end development staff from, from a high-quality external agency. Um, and I think what's critical here is that they all really communicate at eye level and um, really are, are seen as equals. Um, and I think... You know, when we previously did did experiments with with outsourcing, um, not just software development, but really the other parts of the business too, uh, it would oftentimes uh, fail because it's not not um, not integrated enough, in, in, and you don't really have your your processes set up in a way that you can support that. So I think I think a good benchmark is when when you're internally struggling to follow follow your own processes, adding external capacity to that really only exacerbates the problem and doesn't make it better. Growth. If you think about the complete funnel, so starting on the top with brand, then marketing for probably lead generation, then sales and customer success, do you have all these functions at Sharpest? Uh, yes, we do. <laughs> Um, um, is any of them in the lead and how do they have like one common structure or how are they structured and is, is the overall leadership for the growth within, I don't know, within uh, sales probably uh, like bring the yeah. other functions together? Yeah. So, so maybe, maybe to the first question first, before, before I get to kind of who's in the lead. So we do have all these functions, uh, but, but I'd say, you know, we're actively trying to break break a siloed way of thinking, which is tempting uh, because you have uh, teams that are called names and, uh, you know, by, 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 by integrating different functions through, through really joint missions to accomplish. So if we, you know, let's pick the number of opportunities as one metric we optimize for. Um, so this is not just a metric for the business development team, but one that is ultimately owned jointly by both marketing and business and sales development. So, Uh, both really need to work hand in hand to generate opportunities, and that's the way in which we would, um, you know, really try to actively make sure that these uh, like these teams talk to each other. Um, and um, yeah, uh, at, at the beginning, when you have zero pipeline in a new market, for example, in a way, everyone's working towards opportunities almost independent of your job title, right? 
but but when it comes to now uh, you know leadership um especially on the revenue side i think you still you actually benefit sometimes from 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 certain hierarchies as well uh and and it helps to have a clear line of responsibilities so uh we have a we have a vp of sales who's who's owning a revenue target for a respective uh part and a part is really uh the, the cross functional group of people generating revenue in a, in a in a certain region um and then um yeah that that's really the the, the equivalent to the to the cross functional mission team setup that i've mentioned um and yeah um that's also ultimately the 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 um the accountable uh, for revenue in a region is uh, with the vp of sales Got it. You mentioned that you you break the silos with with, for example, joint um, objectives or targets. But then, in the end, you will have those who are more in the creation of leads, some that are more responsible con for converting them, some for maintaining them, etc. What can you do? I mean, uh, yeah, shared shared targets definitely are a very good solution to that. Anything else that you would say that you can do to make sure that. If things do not go perfectly well, that that they don't say, oh, you know, like you didn't, I, I brought you great leads, but you didn't convert them, or the other way around. In the in the perfect world, you have a perfectly aligned uh, top to bottom and bottom up uh, plan. So the top down uh, top down plan, which is typically owned by the CFO uh, together with the CEO of the company, I guess. Um, you know, setting the annual targets um, in line with uh, what you expect from the business and in line with what the market maybe expects from your business, um, including investors oftentimes. And then, you know, that you want to have uh, as much aligned as possible with a bottom-up plan, uh, which takes into account things like uh, your capacity, your historic conversion rates, and um a bunch of other input factors that essentially um, give you a target revenue number for the same time period. When you have, when you don't have that, then um, you know trouble is sort of uh, yeah, is pre-programmed uh, in a in a way. Um, and so I, I think that's critical to to just get right and take the time uh, to do. Um, it, it it pays off because you avoid a lot of these finger pointing discussions that you will otherwise have throughout the year. If everyone to, uh, you know together worked on this bottom up plan, you lock it in, you look into your eyes, and you commit to it. Um, then that already limits uh, by and large, I think, uh, the, the 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 finger pointing by quite a bit. Um, and then. Again, I think here this is a constant challenge that 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 I've come to accept. You just need to uh, solve for removing silos continuously. That's that's really why one reason uh, why 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 leadership is so hard, uh, and why this is um, a topic in 2022 like it was in 2013. Or uh, I don't know how far back you want to go. It's just a it's just a, a problem whenever people operate together. Uh, and are measured on different things and uh, you know don't just go to work in order to make the business successful but they also have to uh, sustain a family uh, oftentimes and and you know that just a lot of different interests coming together and so you need to constantly uh, also train your leaders in, in how to break down silos and uh, it's not just about the people it's also about the organizational structure uh, you know it no one organizational structure should just grow organically. You need to, um, I think, 
regular, regularly revisit that and, and make sure that, um, you know, may, maybe maybe you need to change the organizational structure. Maybe it's actually uh, you're, you're, you're being uh, held back because uh, you're missing a key uh, a key, a key, key expertise. Uh, like you know, you're really not making progress on the marketing side because maybe now is the time to bring in this experienced uh, chief marketing officer. Um, and otherwise, you're always having discussions on a on a lower level, not really moving forward. So, yeah, I guess in summary, um, it's it's something almost like um, you know, taking out the dishes um, uh, from the dishwasher. <laughs> you need to constantly work on breaking down, breaking down silos. I think and um, uh, revisit both org structure and, and the talents or expertise you have. What's your view on brand? How important is it for you and how do you approach it? I think, yeah, I think it's super important. Um, and it's been, um, I would say, uh, not a priority for us at the beginning to, to just focus, let's focus on brand, let's get a big brand. Um, I think it's, it's ultimately a summary of what you stand for, right? And it's, it's sort of, uh, the pull effect that you're able to generate for the work you do and um, that 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 ideally should inspire others to work with you as well. And so uh, I think the great thing about our business um, is that coaching is, is historically actually a word of mouth business. And um, that's that's ultimately what we're seeing as well. If we do great work with uh, with 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 our customers, then uh, that's a great source of, of referrals to to other customers and then uh, we try to have our customers, um, you know, talk about uh, why they chose to work with us and how that drove their impact. Um, and that's how we approach brand, right? It's really letting the customers talk uh, about about their work with us as opposed to uh, talking about ourselves and uh, talking about uh, yet another funding round. Um, I'm almost a bit grateful that... Um, you know uh, that that's um, you know prim primarily uh, talking about um, yourself as a startup uh, is is uh, yeah is, is 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 by nature becoming a bit less because you just see less funding rounds and so suddenly businesses have to really uh, you know talk about what impact are they actually generating <laughs> and uh, how are customers actually responding to that and I'm I'm actually looking forward to 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 that. Uh, normalizing uh, over the next months. Yeah, I agree. Um, so uh, you you mentioned word of mouth. What other what marketing channels do you use? How do you acquire customers, and and why do you use these channels? Mm -hmm. So I, I mean, I think the the main channel really for us is uh, other existing customers uh, making making introductions to to other people in the space. Um, you know, and we quite naturally try to engage with our audiences through things like events, uh, where we have the chance to go a little bit deeper on the topics that we're standing for. Uh, you know, recently, uh, super important topic has become resilience. Uh, it's it's always important, but especially in times of uncertainty. Uh, resilience uh, really uh, gets on the top of the agenda also of CEOs around the world. How can we make our organization resilient and how can we support individuals in becoming resilient? And uh, that's essentially what we do. And so uh, we do we do events uh, around these topics um, where our customers are located. So recently we did uh, one in Munich. Uh, last week we did one in uh, Zurich where my co-founder was present and had a panel discussion. Um, and we also use, you know, the classical uh, digital channels um, in the, in the, I guess, space of um, people development, 
LinkedIn is a, is a, is a, is a pretty, pretty important channel uh, still. Uh, and then obviously other performance channels like Google and Facebook. Um, but I'd say, uh, yeah, the bulk, the bulk uh, of our demand really is generated from our customers, our coaches, and then um, through events that we attend. Um, performance marketing. Uh, some say, people say it's dead. <laughs> is it dead or is it dying soon? I think it won't, it won't die. Okay, to take that up front. <laughs> but, but I think, you know, what, what happened over the last 10 to 20 years uh, is that, yeah, uh, businesses were coming up, you know, with ways to help other businesses become better at sales and better at marketing. And uh, this has brought about some of the world's largest companies like Facebook or Meta, Google, and now TikTok. And on the flip side, so there are two main levers, sales and marketing, that most companies, most smart minds in this world worked on. And um, disciplines, I would say, that, that used to be pretty fluffy and not measurable, uh, have are uh, 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 experiencing right now a true like almost a renaissance and that's that's the space we're in so the next big lever will be the people lever i strongly believe and so uh i i, I believe you know the the type of measurability that was brought to the domains of sales and marketing we will be seeing in in the people development space and so um I think that's going to be the next the next big frontier uh, and uh, the next big lever uh, in the business world at large. And uh, we are only seeing the very beginning of this right now. And um, that doesn't mean the performance marketing will die. But I think, uh, in a way, I'm, I'm very thankful for what performance marketing has brought to business leaders and business minds around the world because it's it's shown a path to uh measurability in in, in 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 ways that were not um really imaginable uh, before you know when you think of marketing in the days of madmen it was people <laughs> uh, sitting around yeah. with a whiskey uh talking about the next campaign they would do um and now now it's completely shifted and i i think one of the largest marketing companies around the world i don't know if people know it but it's probably booking.com um, a hotel booking page and um, yeah I think if you just think about the sheer potential that has been unlocked in the area of marketing over the next of the last 10 to 20 years and if you think about the potential that's ahead of us in the people development space that's absolutely huge and that's what gives me a lot of hope uh, when I think about uh, the billions of people around the world looking for more meaningfulness at work um, and trying to make a case for that um, I think there, there's a lot of really, really cool stuff coming. And in a way, Sharpest is at the forefront, I would say, of, of that movement. Mm -hmm. People, especially salespeople, I think we have established that you have some of those. Where do you find good digital savvy salespeople, salespeople that are able to sell your product? Yeah. Um, so we go down to Karl Marx Straße, uh, and uh, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. That's where our office is in Neukölln. Uh, that would be uh, nice if it was that easy. Unfortunately, it's not so easy. Um, I think it's you know like with brand or marketing. Actually, you start with uh, being really clear what you are actually looking for. So on on the sales side, you know, there's uh, something called the ideal customer profile, your ICP, uh, you know, who do you really want to target? What is the number of employees? What is the sector? What's the real problem you're trying to solve? And ideally, you want to be as narrow as possible. And then 
expand from that in, in sort of concentric circles. And and similarly, so it's with uh, with salespeople. So you, I think you really got to be clear uh, about who you're looking for and uh, what type of experiences these people should bring in. Um, and I think the, the the biggest learning for 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 me uh, has been that you know, the, especially in sales, um, you really need to interview your sales leaders in a way that uh, informs you about their ability to hire great talent. Um, and so one of the questions that uh, I ask every uh, every sales leader that's um, that's joining, so maybe that's a that's a bit of a secret I'm giving away here, but uh, it's. <laughs> Uh, it's it's you know, how many how many people would you be able to bring over and and in what time and so um, I think I think the yeah the, a fair share of our salespeople now has actually worked with the respective leaders before in one way or the other um, and be, besides that obviously um, I think the other most important channel here is again referrals so yeah uh, in short in sales uh, not so easy. Uh, be clear about what you're looking for and make sure you hire uh, leaders that are able to hire, that are inspiring others to join. Um, and then, yeah, uh, a, a bit of luck, I guess, is required too, because, uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that then, you know, that, that whoever worked well together in the past, um, it doesn't mean that that will work just as well uh, in, 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 your, in your business, in your stage. And so, um, yeah, uh, just just make sure that you then equip them with enough uh, to 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 actually have have them have a fair chance to succeed. Data. How does data make Sharpist successful? I think um, you know sales marketing uh, were the levers of the past. People will be the lever of the future uh, for business uh, to for businesses to be successful. I strongly believe that over the next decades to come, and so. Uh, and, and data really is the cornerstone in this for us. And I think, you know, it, it's almost funny while, while, while it feels evident that, that if only uh, every individual employee across the world received the most personalized support to learn and grow, uh, you know, many companies just don't, don't choose to, to do that. And, um, it's partly also because it wasn't so easily possible in the past, uh, but but you know ultimately what what we need to uh, achieve is that uh, we we have very clear cost versus benefit analyses, uh, return on investment that really showcases uh, the value of um, investing in your people in a meaningful way at a at a global scale. And data really is the future success driver for any HR professional, I believe. And yeah, I really think if we had a huge data lake that was covered covered by a huge mountain, uh, you know, Sharpest is in a way the drilling station to that data because uh, in a way we we untap previously unreachable data points um, and and we can enrich data and processes uh, in in an easy to read way. Um, so you know, data is really paramount to our strategy and and uh, that is to really revolutionize the, the, the entire people development space. And our currency here, or our main metric that we check in on every day, every week, uh, and that, that's really under the hood of Sharpest, is the millions of uh, aha moments that are generated in the coaching sessions. And uh, 
that's really wonderful because if you think of business success, of course, it's 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 about annual recurring revenue, it's about growth rates, uh, but it's also in our case extremely tangible uh, in terms of the number of aha moments that we generate, which really uh, equals to the the number of meaningful uh, kind of micro epiphanies that people had through using our product, and that's that's really uh, gratifying. Really looking inside your company, um, I, I assume, maybe it's wrong, you have a data or business intelligence or uh, analytics or so team. Um, <laughs> which, which functional areas are supported by them? Usually it's, it's always marketing. It's mm -hmm. al almost always uh, finance. Anybody else? Product, HR, who, who is working? Who is getting data from the data team in order to make the job better? I think it's really every 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 function. I mean, uh, we have we have two key functions that that actively make use of uh, the data uh, that we that we generate. Uh, one, our business intelligence team, uh, they really actively support uh, product development and finance. Um, and then on the revenue side, we have uh, revenue operations, um, and there we really support our marketing and sales in, in identifying where where opportunities are generated from, for example. Um, And, and yeah, then it's really about supporting the entire company and making use of data and, and making informed decisions uh, so that we can really take uh, calculated risks um, and, and, and continue moving fast without overthinking stuff. Mm -hmm. If you have uh, data people, would you, um, would you rather ask them to just precisely answer the questions that somebody from a business side asks them? Or would you allow them to... You know, just like explore the data and, and come up with ideas. Yeah, I think uh, here, you know, uh, uh, I think you, you ultimately you want to build a culture where you empower your people to make uh, critical judgment calls themselves. And in order for that to happen, you have to empower them to make use of data and ask the right questions themselves. And now the reality is that uh, there will always be in-betweens. And uh, in, in my previous uh Uh, you know, work. I was uh, one of the early employees at Get Your Guide, and I had the privilege to be seated next to our uh, head of business intelligence. His uh, title was back then, and he was basically building up everything from scratch. Uh, everything was built on Pentaho initially before we moved to to Looker, and um, nobody really had good access to data. But I was able to. Uh, You know, always ping him for any query I had until I was then able to set up my own queries. And then I was kind of proud to build my first SQL queries and, and uh, you know, uh, draw insights from these. And uh, that was quite annoying, obviously, to my colleague uh, because I was, you know, <laughs> I was just uh, pinging him while he was actually supposed to develop the infrastructure. Um, but yeah, it taught me the lesson that, uh, you know, uh, yeah, you, it really pays off uh, to, to, um, to invest in the infrastructure. Uh, but at the same time, uh, you know, I think without uh, any replies from my colleague back then, I also probably wouldn't have been able to, to draw the same uh, number of insights, which then helped the business in other, other ways. So, um, uh, yeah, so I, I think you need to have ide ideally probably some, something like a, a support ticket system or, or so for a team that ultimately also works on the infrastructure. Uh, where you can then, in a pragmatic way, though, also answer some ad hoc requests and 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 here just prioritize based on, um, you know, uh, the impact you believe this query will have versus the the the, the um, feasibility uh, of uh, of of getting it done. 
Um, yeah, uh, if, if you if you if you're stuck with a setup where uh, only one knowledgeable person in terms of data is answering questions of everyone, that's inherently not scalable and not scalable in a in a, in a way that you don't want to have it. What's the data uh, tool set and infrastructure that that you use at Sharpist? A large chunk of, of our infrastructure is, uh, is is based on on the Google suite. So we use Google Data Studio on the, on the revenue side. We make use of HubSpot. Um, and um, by and large, uh, because we have to uh, ensure such high levels of you know in, in information protection and data privacy, uh, data security. I'm sorry. Um, we uh, have had to make a lot of work uh, in in the area of uh, really making sure you know that we uh, host our our services uh, in in Europe um, that that everything is uh, super safe and so uh, that's that's why uh, yeah we've actually gone through a lot of changes uh, over the last half year in order to be able to then serve customers like uh, Siemens and SAP. Uh, in a way that uh, really complies with uh, all their policies again. So things like ISO 27001, you know, uh, I, I wasn't really familiar with that before starting the company. And now, now I'm very well familiar with, uh, with it. <laughs> um, which roles do you have in the data field? You mentioned some of the responsibility for data sits with, with revenue ops. Do you have a business intelligence mm -hmm. team? Um, do, you, do you have... Uh, I guess you have some data engineers there, yep. um, and uh, like analytical people, probably. Uh, where's the, is there somebody overall responsible for all all things data, and and to whom is this person reporting? Um, in a way, that's our VP Engineering. Um, he reports to uh, uh, the CEO, um, and he so he owns. Let's say he owns data, um, and. Then beneath that, though, you have functions like you mentioned them. You have data engineering, so in a way, the drilling for data. Um, and then analysts and BI uh, that that use the data in uh, for, for 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 product teams. Uh, for example, the data analysts, especially, uh, would support the product teams primarily, I guess, in their day-to-day uh, -day execution and prioritization, uh, finding insights, and the business intelligence team. Uh, in our case, uh, supports really the whole company with, with I, I think, a strong focus on, on revenue. And then on top, we have uh, a revenue operations team uh, that, um, you know, in addition to the data piece, uh, also owns um, yeah, tooling, but also revenue strategy. Okay. How can you make sure that people do what the data recommend and, and don't just follow their gut feeling? Look at data and turn around and say, I know better. Mm, I think, yeah, it's, it comes down to, I think, asking, yeah, asking the, right, the right questions, but also um, making sure that you don't let people off the hook with, with a half-baked statement, right? So of, oftentimes, I think progress really comes about by, by, by someone having a hypothesis about something. And, and what I care about is that people feel empowered and, and are actually making hypotheses and, and measure progress in a way that allows them to verify or falsify their hypothesis. And so I think learning is, 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 is really such a big part of our, day, uh, of our DNA and, 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 and data is key to this. And I, I think here it's about yeah, uh, 
making sure that people know how to also pragmatically make use of data and not be intimidated by uh, having to run SQL queries or uh, having to do um, data science bootcamp before really working in a in a in a in a in a, in a uh, data driven way, uh, right? So uh, I think that's 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 a common misperception uh, that I see that uh, is helpful to uh, dissolve. What's your view on GDPR? Is it an opportunity or a struggle? I think in our case, it's definitely an opportunity um, uh, because uh, we are dealing with um, yeah, very important pieces of information and data. Uh, previously, it was very hard for uh, or even impossible for enterprise customers to make sure that uh, coaching really um, you know, ticks all the boxes in terms of uh, privacy. Um, and so for, for us, it's really a huge opportunity uh, to, to, to ensure that companies at large, at a, at a large scale, are able to bring something super personalized to the entire employee base uh, without having to be worried about um, data protection and information security. And so in our case, it's a huge opportunity. Um, yeah, personally, uh, you know, as an end user, I can see why it sometimes feels a bit... Um, uh, why do I have to click OK to all cookies uh, again? Um, but I think, yeah, uh, also here we are only uh, at the beginning of seeing the, the, the negative consequences of, of what happens if your data is not kept safe. And I personally have a very um, um, reserved uh, view, let's say, on the use of uh, tools like or, or, or products like TikTok, uh, right, where, where um, things are rather um, in the gray zone in terms of even... Uh, how, how transparent uh, things are being handled. And so, uh, but yeah, I don't want to judge anyone who uses TikTok. Uh, it's just my, my personal take. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Environmental, social, and governance. And the first question is tricky uh, because it is either why did you or why didn't you start an ESG company? Um, is Sharpest an ESG company? And if yes or no, why? I would I would be curious, honestly, uh, to know how many uh, people in the ESG space, including investors, actually know what ESG stands for in the first place. Um, but I mean, uh, so it, I let me think about that. I, I think uh, when when I so when I started Charter, so before that, uh, and I didn't start it alone. I started with my co-founder Hendrik. Um, and, uh, you know, I was personally sitting down in a cafe, uh, without any technology, just with a piece of paper and a pencil. Uh, and I did that, I think for, for one week, uh, sat down at Coffee House Atopia at Prenzlauer Allee in Prenzlauer Berg, where I used to live back then and forced myself to, uh, just sit there as long as I could to write down all the problems. Uh, that would come to mind and all the all the problems so i would see uh you know someone a, a little kid walk around with a with an ice cream and i would think oh maybe uh you know um healthy healthy eating habits uh, for children but a lot a lot of my thoughts actually circled around the topic of um too much stuff so too much stuff physically but also mentally um and so a lot, a lot of my thoughts circled around the, the, the thought of decluttering 
um, and, and and really decluttering the mind in, in a way as well. And so um, uh, I think, so the, the, why did I not start an ESG company? I guess um, I, because I, I don't know what qualifies for being an ESG company, to be fair. Um, but, but I think, uh, you know, in, in a way, uh, I really got obsessed with uh, trying to help people uh, lead more self-aware lives and careers. And um, I think in a way that's the starting point, you know, to have a healthy mind uh, is, is, a, is a starting point to be able to uh, help others and also help your environment. And so um, in a meta way, I would say, I would say uh, that that's, that's somewhat related. Um, yeah. Um, don't know if that answers your question. Uh, and um, maybe you can tell me. For sure, a good reflection on it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's probably hard to answer, but it's a good reflection on it. Um, if we look into the aspects of ESG, so let's start with um, what's probably the most tangible for everybody, uh, environmental support. What does Sharpest do internally in order to help our environment? Um, so there, there's direct things. Uh, that, so, uh, that, that I would say that we do. Um, I mean, in a way, you know, by enabling coaching for uh, to, to be held virtually, uh, we get rid of the the necessity of traveling from 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 and to your coaching sessions. So that's that's kind of an obvious one in a way. Uh, uh, that's in a way really equivalent to hundreds of millions of euros in travel costs uh, saved per year and um, the respective impact on our planet. Um, I think if you think of the business model per se, that's that's probably the biggest chunk. Um, indirectly, and I mentioned that in my, I guess, reflection here, um, we're really driving driving self-awareness for, for both individuals and organizations. And um, I think that those are really self-awareness and resilience are really the base for uh, feeling connected with with yourself and with, with your environment. And uh, only with that, you can really be, 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 be uh, uh, become active. Um, um, and there's more things we, we could, I guess, go through internally uh, at Sharpest, um, you know, uh, but yeah, within Germany, for example, within, uh, we, we, we don't allow for air travel, but we take the trains. Uh, Honestly, there's more we can do. Um, um, if if we wake up in the morning, uh, you know, I'd be lying to say, okay, the number one priority for us would be how can we be uh, optimized from an ESG perspective. Any social aspects that that are um, that that you take into account in the way you run your business? Yeah, so we we deeply care about customer satisfaction, and uh, in that regard, you know. Uh, I think I think something uh, that, that that falls into that domain is is, is ultimately um, in our, in our case uh, something I mentioned data protection privacy um, and um, we also look at uh, so that's for our customers and, and um, in general we look at gender um, and diversity so what's the share of uh, female leaders you know we've uh, we've identified that that was that was a problem we had about like i think 20 percent uh, of our leaders were female at some point uh, now it's i think 40 45 uh, so it's something we actively look at uh, to make sure that you know not just in terms of gender obviously you know gender is uh, far from binary it's uh, I, I personally believe it's a spectrum 
uh, right? And so uh, that that's how we that's how we look at diversity, um, and uh, we look at things like employee engagement and have uh, employee representation groups uh, for various topics, you know, parenting. Um, and uh, really, really different topics. And I think that's um, when I think about my uh, my time as a as an employee, let's say at a at a, at a fast growing company. Again, uh, those grassroots initiatives, I, I think, were, were were probably the most uh, successful ones because you had people, uh, you know, uh, organized in a small group um, to 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 tackle things uh, pragmatically together and and uh, that's that's how we try to set things up at sharpest really enabling people to take action themselves and erg employee representation groups i think are are a great way to to make space for that how about governance it's uh, somehow somehow everybody talks esg but uh, nine out of ten people i interview uh, don't really know how to <laughs> what to say about the governance piece uh, is that different for you mm. No, and I'm talking about grown-up companies, not yeah. uh, not not startups in their first days. Yeah, I, I'm not surprised. Um, you know, I think I think in a in, in, a, in a startup uh, or in a European startup, um, uh, governance uh, really is a critical question uh, in, when it comes also to the, the setup of your board, uh, right? And here I, I see most European companies somewhat in between. Uh, the pure American setup, where you know the board uh, has a very active role of the founders, and um, and 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 the the European uh, version, where um, that the board really has a supervisory function primarily. So, um, and I think that's that's an important uh, question to to really uh, spend time on uh, and and and. Uh, yeah, think about you know what what what's the setup that you believe as a founding team is the right setup for for, for you. Uh, personally, I think it's it's important for for the founders to take an active role, uh, also at a board level. So uh, that's 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 the setup. Uh, that so so I, I think our, our setup at Charpus is probably uh, most uh, most close to the setup that you'd find in most American sort of uh, fast growing companies. If, do you think that if a company is putting focus on ESG or selling itself as a, with a strong ESG focus that investors are um, appreciating that or rather seeing that as a distraction from revenue focus? I definitely, yeah, I, I really see that regulation uh, can be a very effective and, and can, can be very effective, uh, yeah, I guess, and, and it's... It, it's it's a really necessary means to drive behavior change in society. And so uh, if you think about ESG, it's not a new term, right? It's, it's been around uh, for, for many, many years now. And um, I actually see something similar. I see it as something similar to, to, to what we've seen in banking. I mean, in banking, we've had the, the Basel regulations, right? They were, they were a great example to drive a more sustainable banking industry and, and prevent yeah, really large bailouts like Lehman in 2008 from happening. And I think similarly, um, you know, we yeah, again, we've seen decades where the smartest individuals really kept themselves busy by making people click more uh, on one versus another item. Uh, while, while at the same time, our, our society is ever more polarized, the, the environment is truly at risk and, and trust in governments is also at a historic low. And so I personally really uh, don't care what investors think there, but I do believe that you know doing the right thing 
ultimately pays off. Uh, and uh, it's almost a principle that I think you have to answer for yourself as a, as a business leader uh, in terms of how you are seeing your own role in this world. Um, and ideally, investors uh, follow that, um, at least those that um, are not just intraday traders, uh, you know, uh, but those that take a more long-term view. Do you have something like an ESG officer? And if yes, or, or also if you don't, but where should su such a person sit in the organization? To whom should such a role report? Yeah, first, I think it's a great idea. We don't have uh, an ESG officer just yet. Um, I would say uh, it should be sitting probably directly with the founding team CEO uh, or within the broader, um, in our case, people and organization team. So a team whose mission it really is to develop and nurture the best organizational setup of the business at any given stage. Last three questions. Which is the one podcast that all founders should listen to? So if it's podcast for all founders, I'd say it's still Masters of Scale by Reid Hoffman. Uh, for SaaS specifically, it's definitely Saster. Uh, Jason Lemkin um, brings, brings in uh, similarly great people just on the topic of SaaS. So yeah, both great podcasts. Okay. What are your top two pieces of advice for early stage founders? Actually, number one, uh, and it's the, the number one sharpest leadership principle, it's, it's really uh, resilience. Uh, you know, start with yourself, because only if you're resilient, uh, you can lead yourself, you can lead others, you can lead an organization. Um, it's easily, it's easy, it's easy set. And, and, and it's, it's really something where you every day need to sharpen the knife and, and work on yourself. Took me some years to really realize that you know just playing football a year wasn't wasn't what what I needed to actually do to to do great also in business and in my private life. Let's say swimming every day a little bit is much more uh, helpful there, uh, for example, uh, to build my personal resilience. Um, I think that's number one, and then um, number two um, is actually um, along those same lines somewhat. Um, Be mindful of, uh, you know, not just taking an advice, but also uh, be mindful of uh, what you can actually execute and implement from the uh, many pieces of advice and snippets that are given to you. Um, so I would say that's a so so focus on what you can what you can execute and know your limits and be honest about them because um, you know. Uh, Especially at an early stage, I think I see all too many consultants that are uh, trying to come in and help companies go to Series A or take a playbook and uh, really help founders to implement a playbook that has worked somewhere. Uh, but I think you really need to be careful uh, not to let too many of these types of people uh, consult you. Uh, really pick your advice as well and, and make sure that uh, you really can execute on the advice because otherwise it's not good advice. Mm -hmm. Okay. Last question at my personal growth hack for this podcast. <laughs> Who are the other two founders that I should ask this set of questions and you can make an introduction and you will make an introduction for me? Top of mind, um, I guess, I, guess a, a little, I have a recency bias now because of the, the ESG uh, questions that we just went through. And uh, so two, two really great founders, I think, uh, that both, uh, that I think combine Uh, a strong business model with actually doing something great that the world uh, that makes the world a somewhat better place. Um, 
the founders of Share and uh, Tomorrow Bank. So uh, happy to make an intro to Iris, uh, co-founder of Share, um, or Michael, Iris Braun, or, or uh, Michael Schweikart, uh, who's uh, the co-founder of Tomorrow Bank. Um, yeah, both both I think great companies uh, started in Germany that uh, have a have a pretty pretty amazing uh, mission. Thank you so much, Fabian. I wish you all the best for you and for Sharpist. Amazing answers. Uh, I believe the people will learn a lot from that. And that's it for today. Thanks all for listening in. We appreciate your interest. If you want to know more about Project A and the stuff that we do, both on the investment side as well as to grab a ton of operational knowledge, just go to projecta.com where we share whatever we can. And for the podcast, if you want to hear more, subscribe to this podcast, rate it, review it, and of course, share it with all your colleagues, friends, and families. Fabian, thanks a lot again and goodbye. Thank you, Rainer. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed our podcast. If you did, how about you subscribe on Spotify and or iTunes and give us a rating. Thanks, guys.